Thank you, Derek. The last time I was in India, I had the joy of dedicating one of those toilets. I really did. Not the one you're necessarily talking about. I did actually use the toilet as well, but you don't need that information. If you want toilet stories about traveling in the third world, I'm your man. The last two services we've had very uh, thought-provoking, insightful and words that have been actually focused on bringing us to action from Donovan when he spoke on, and I don't know whether this was your title, Donovan, Graham's, we'll blame Graham, but we don't need to blame him because it was excellent stuff that Donovan did for us on good suffering and many of you will remember it and if you weren't here and I wasn't here uh, then it's worth listening to on the website and then last week Graham in his own inimitable style uh, talked to us about godly lifestyle being out of the coffin and living in the newness of the life that is in Christ and he used the phrase that just resonates with me all the time about counter-cultural living which in truth we know virtually nothing about as Christians in this country. But we need to know a great deal more about that. St. Augustine described these as, or this, as a love letter from home. So I'm going to read you a love letter, at least a small part of it. So if you'd like to turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'm going to say something heretical right at the beginning. And you should listen and not just believe it because it's said from the front. This was not written to you. Was it? It was written to Christians in the first century. Of course it was written to you. I'm not that much of a heretic. But it was not, first of all, written to you. But I'm going to talk to you anyway about it. Let's listen to the word of God. 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the spirit of glory and God rests on you, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? Uh, What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And he quotes, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue 
to do good. I'm going to suggest, and this is a human outline, a construct onto the text, that I'm going to be saying five things this morning. When I say I'm saying five things, uh, Peter is saying five things that were relevant then, absolutely crucial then, and still have significance today. He said, first of all, don't be surprised. And we shall let the text speak for itself. Don't be surprised when the issue of suffering comes. Don't be miserable. Don't be ashamed. Don't be resentful. And don't be discouraged. And I've got half an hour to get through all of that. Peter was to die crucified upside down in Rome for his faith because he said he wasn't worthy to die in the same position that Jesus had died and he's writing to these Christians probably it's the Neronian period could have been Trajan but it almost certainly was the Neronian period 60 plus AD and it was a time of unparalleled pressure and he warns them Christians you need to hear this and I'm going to say straight away this is this first part is not going to apply to you in a very narrow personal sense probably probably it may I know I have a price on my head and can't be back in Nigeria but I don't think as I walk around this country anyone's likely to try to kill me because I'm a Christian. But in those days, that was exactly the situation. And he warns them. And you remember most of the congregation, most of the early Christians were slaves. There were one or two people who were more well-to-do. Most of them were slaves. They were valueless. They were discarded. They were essentially insignificant in the empire. They used to meet very early in the morning fancy a six o'clock service before your day started gosh that would turn things upside down wasn't it and then they'd meet at the end of the day and they met in the catacombs as you know those of you who know your history a little bit of your history and Nero came to the throne and if we think IS is violent and some of us have inside knowledge of that it bears little resemblance to the absolute violence of Nero. Graham was telling us last week that the Roman culture was obsessed with uh, power. And if you had the power to do it, then you did it and you controlled. Nero had a scheme, he wanted to rebuild part of the shanty town of Rome. And the best way to do it was to burn the old part down. And there was not a planning council to submit his application to. He just did it. And people were angry, furious, violent. And they needed to turn their anger on someone. Well, Nero was a despot, as I've said. 
And the best way to deflect anger is to push it in some other direction, and he pushed it onto these Christians. Well, they'd already been talking about God judging by fire, and they were believed to be cannibals because they ate flesh and blood of Christ. So it wasn't too long before the Christians were literally being persecuted beyond words. If you read the story, going to Tacitus, Suetonius, Josephus, it doesn't really matter where you go, you read some of the ways. They were caught, they weren't even tried, and we're talking about hundreds, probably not thousands, but certainly hundreds, these Christians were caught. Some of them were wrapped in the skins of wild animals and thrown into the gladiatorial arena. Some of them were wrapped in skins, daubed in pitch, and certainly it's well documented that Nero had one festival when he invited his equally neurotic friends. And the light was provided by the burning corpses of Christians. And Peter says to the Christians then, not that they knew that detail that I'm telling you, that's what awaits you if you're going to be loyal to Christ. You transpose it into the century now. I'm in regular contact. Most of you realize I'm in and out of the third world and probably almost every day I'm in contact with the third world. Most of the places where, persecuted, uh, where persecution is rife in fact, the last time but one I was in India, I was ministering to a Christian pastor who told me the story of having left his service, got in one of the little put-puts to go home to his wife, uh, three of them, and the put-put was stopped. And he was taken out and beaten with an inch of his life. Probably most of the bones in his body was broken. How he survived is a miracle. Simply because he was a Christian. Now that's not going to happen to you today. But it is happening. It is happening. Most of you know I did my doctoral studies on Muslim Christian issues in relation to West Africa. And I'm regularly in touch with uh, both the Bonobus Trust and Open Doors, and there are many, many other organizations. Can I commend to you? Bridge North's a little bit of a sleepy market town, I know. But can I commend to you passionately that you engage with the broken world we live in? Get a hold of the prayer diary. We're not all called to do what I've been called to do. I understand that, and I'm not putting pressure on anyone, but I'm asking you to be engaged. There are things going on beyond the door of this church, beyond this, the town of Bridge North, beyond the nation, into the broken world. I shall be in India, God willing, in January. There may be other travel plans as well, ministry opportunities, but I commend to you getting literature, and if you do nothing more, you at least every day in your prayer time read one of the sections. I read today. Forgive me. Adrenaline doesn't make me shake. It makes my mouth grow dry. This is a prayer. 
in the Barnabas prayer guide for today. Dear Lord Jesus, you said that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. We pray that these words will comfort the loved ones of many who have died for you. 7,000 Christians have died in the last year because of their loyalty to Jesus. Probably many, many more. Today, we remember especially the widow, son, and three daughters of Hussein Hali in Bangladesh. And you know Bangladesh is an inferno. You saw what happened on the news in Dhaka. One of my students is teaching in a theological college in Dhaka. He was hacked to death by three motorcyclists as he took his regular morning walk earlier this year. We praise you for his decision 17 years ago to leave Islam and to follow you, and I could read on. And if you're gonna follow Christ authentically in the broken third world, you've gotta probably be ready to have your throat slit. Not relevant to you, except if you have any consciousness of the love of Christ that uh, Graham was speaking about. Love goes beyond the boundaries of the four walls of this church. It goes out into the community. It goes out into the nation. Now, yes, it goes out into the world. Don't be surprised, Peter said. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my heroes. Made the decision to stand against Hitler. And in the final days before the Third Reich totally collapsed, he hung at the end of a rope in Flossenburg jail because of his loyalty to Jesus. And that's what Christians have been through. And I've just used some illustrations. I could tell you story after story from Nigeria, but let me leave it that way. Jesus promised us we would no suffering. Whether that will come, I heard someone who I have deep respect, a great prophet from God, say that it would be only a matter of short decades before we actually experience that in UK. I don't know. I pray not. But we don't know. Don't be surprised when suffering came. And can I personally just deeply endorse all the pastoral sensitivity with which Donovan spoke about suffering because we all suffer. I've been speaking about the big picture, but there are sufferings. Lots of things go on in life and we don't understand. I've certainly known something about suffering in my life. Not a lot. But don't be surprised when suffering comes your way. Jesus promised you it. It wasn't an easy life that he promised. It wasn't a life full of purpose, though he gives you a life full of purpose. It was that you would be called to take a cross up and die with him daily. Don't be surprised. I must move on quickly, but the rest is somewhat easier to exegete. Look at verses 13 to 14 of that uh, passage I read. I read them again to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory revealed. 
Gosh, that's easy to say and easy to write. I find I'm such a human being that when I suffer, there's a little child in me that is very, very alive that says, this is not fair. And I don't know if there are any in the congregation who have that little child inside them. I suspect there are. And life is deeply unfair. Yes? Be nice if people wag their heads. Life is deeply unfair. And suffering will come. Some of it is just to do with the fact that we live in a broken world. Some of it is to do with the challenge of ill health, whether that's physical or mental. Because it's a broken world we live in. But we can rejoice in that. Because we know, Jesus promised it, that a crown will follow the cross. Right? A crown will follow the cross. Remember, Hebrews, I think, someone will correct me who's more of a biblical scholar than I am. It talked about Jesus enduring the cross for the joy that was set before him. Now, we're not masochists here as Christians if you've come in off the street and think, I'm exhorting everyone to be a man. Not at all. But we bear suffering when it comes because we have an idea, we have a certain hope about the crown that is ours. Suffering brings us close to Christ. I watched my darling daughter as she died over a period of three years, and I watched suffering shape her, not only into the person that she was, but I watched it shape her, and it does. Stephen, Acts 5, Acts 6, beg your pardon, he had the voice, he probably had the voice, but he certainly had the face of an angel as he was confronting the, probably the subsection of the Sanhedrin. And he knew what he was saying was going to lead to his death. And it did. And why does Christian, why does God allow Christians to die like that? Because he had a much bigger eternal purpose because standing watching Stephen go into the presence of Jesus was, who was it? Paul. And you're all going to die anyway. So am I. I'd rather die like that for Jesus than die quietly in a hospital bed, but I won't have any choice about that. Any choice at all. So don't be surprised. Don't be miserable. Don't be ashamed. Hardly need to say this. No Christian should be a murderer. But remember what Jesus said? If I hate you in my heart, I'm a murderer. And there's not too many of us here, in fact, I'd go so far as to say there's not one of us here who hasn't known that emotion at some stage. Don't be a murderer. Don't be a thief. Don't be a wrongdoer. And then Peter had one of those blips. My wife accuses me of speaking Pharaohese. 
By that she means that I concoct words that make sense to me and I know will make sense to the congregation, but they don't actually exist in the English language, right? Now Peter did this here. Peter was a fairly uneducated, fairly rough fisherman. And he says, don't be a busybody. What he actually says is, don't be allotri episcopos. And the scholars have gone, pulled their hair out trying to find a word in Greek that says allotri episcopos. Not at all possible. So the best they can come up with, and it's probably good exegesis, is don't be a busybody. Meddler. The three marks of everyone's spirituality here. If I want to really know where you're at with God, and if you want to know where I'm at with God, three areas. This is Cistercian and Benedictine theology. Money, sex, power. How you use power. Now, I've been a leader most of my life, and I've always excuse the fact that I need to be in the know as the fact that I'm a leader and I do need to be in the know. But I know enough about my psychology with all the training I've done to know there's something very, very internal in there in me that wants to both control and to meddle. Am I the only sinner here? Nobody else? All right. Yeah, yeah. Don't be... Alas, try Episcopos. Don't be a meddler. That doesn't mean you disengage with people. But most of us know when we cross that line between concern and control. Don't be surprised. Don't be miserable. Don't be ashamed. Don't be resentful, verse 16 to 18, because I think the texts are much more important than anything I'm saying. I read it again. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, for it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, he quotes, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You know, the one thing, I'm an extremely analytical person, I'm a scientist by background before I ever became a theologian. The one thing I struggle with in this whole area is perspective. I've got someone who's a spiritual, I've got several people who are spiritual mentors, spiritual directors to me. And we'll often go climbing the hills or walking or talking sometimes on Skype. And I recognize all too easily how I lose perspective. And I'm analytical and I'm highly trained and I still lose perspective. And that's what happens to us all. That's why I find the scriptures so fascinating. And it merits one of the Psalms that we'll probably look at in our midweek Bible study. Oh, I'm going the wrong way in the Old Testament to find Psalms. 
I want to turn to Psalm 73 because Psalm 73 is one of those wonderful Psalms that's all about perspective. Because most of us live in the world and we say things like that. Surely God's good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, as for me, my feet had almost slipped, I'd given up, I look at the world, it's unjust. I remember my director when I was in research chemistry, when I told him I was gonna be a missionary in West Africa. He said, you're a BF and you can put the words in. He says, but I do admire you. But Graham was reminding us that there are, last week that there are people who watch what we do and what we say, and they don't just say you are a BF, they actually think you're a BF. I'm sorry to use bad language in church, I'm sure I can be forgiven. And the key is perspective. I gave up a career in research chemistry to follow to Africa, how nutty is that? from a perspective of the world. I've no regrets, by the way, I hope you know that. And Psalm 73 is all about perspective. And he talks about the fact that he looked at the world and it was all messed and broken in his own life and he couldn't make any sense of it. And he says, surely in verse 13, I kept my heart pure and I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted. If I've spoken like this, and then, till I entered the sanctuary of God. You used a very interesting phrase, uh, Alan, as you were introducing the service. You talked about this as an oasis. This is where perspective for life is given. And you'll never understand and see life more clearly than you do see it in God's presence. Once you go outside and you turn the telly on, and some of you will be rooting this afternoon as I will for a certain Scotsman, and watching the Grand Prix, and then the football tonight, Rachel insists that I watch all of this. <laughs> She's a very patient wife. It's all too easy to be surrounded by the media, and I get very angry about the way the media distorts things leaving aside the ethics of what was said and not said and what was meant and not meant you look at the media and how they twist things and how easily we lose perspective until until we come into the house of the lord and that's lovely to do together you don't have to do it together you can do it on your own I hope you practice the presence of Jesus every day. I hope you read the scriptures and pray every day, every day. We pray together as a married couple and I know many of you don't have that freedom in the morning before we get up and at the night as we go to bed and have our own devotions privately as well. It's absolutely essential for perspective that you're in the presence of God all the time. And finally, don't be discouraged. This is what verse 19 says. 
So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to be good. I have one absolutely high personality delightful grandson. His name is Joe. We're very close to both of them because obviously we were very deeply involved with them uh, when their mother was dying. And uh, he's 16 years old and he's flying planes, little planes, all around Australia. It was on the Skype to Grandad and I can't do any wrong, she's nice. Long pay last. And he's going to take me up in his plane and he's going to fly me all over Australia. I'm looking forward to that. I, tr- I trust him. <laughs> Some fingers crossed on the uh, middle row there, I think. I'm a little boy too, but you know that. I trust him. I got in a dentist chair couple of weeks ago and a guy nearly killed me but I trusted him I trusted him I trusted him and what on earth has this got to do with the text well the Greek word there is fascinating because it's exactly the same word you remember Jesus into your hands I what was the word commit my spirit exactly the same word in Greek here so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves see Jesus utterly utterly knew that in going through the process of death and of course we know why he was dying we're not discussing that this morning precious as it is. He knew that as he faced the point of death, he could commit with absolute certainty, commit his spirit to his Father. Yeah? That's correct theologically. It's exactly what you and I need to hear today. If we're suffering, and we will suffer in some small way, or maybe in some large way, commit ourselves to our faithful creator we don't know when that will come for any of us it will come it will come probably not in the dramatic way I was describing at the beginning but there will be Christians who will probably have their throat cut today because they refuse to say anything other than they're trusting Jesus not your lot not mine but your responsibility and mine is to commit ourselves to that God. And lest there should be any confusion, we'll continue to do good. And you can exegete that for yourselves. Thank you.